0: From New York City, it's The Gary Knoll Show. And now, your host, Gary
1: Null. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Null, and I'd like to welcome you to this program. We like to think of this as wellness. Historically, m- many people have been confused. In fact, an entire country is confused when it comes to wellness. We separate it off into divisions. For example, how rarely does anyone ever think that keeping your brain healthy is a part of overall wellness? It's part of health. No, they think something's wrong with your brain. And in the absence of having a problem with the brain, like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, they think, well, then what's the big deal? If there's no problem, why should I tend to it? Well, wellness looks at what is likely to be the outcome of being proactive in a positive way versus waiting almost nihilistically or fatalistically until something happens, till there's a tipping. So we deal with wellness in the broadest concepts. For example, today I'm going to give you brand new information that you have not heard before on vaccines and autism making a connection that no one had done before. That's wellness. Why? Because it involves our body and our wellness. Many people have ended up sick and autistic and and damaged and dead because they trusted in vaccines. Also, today we're going to look at our organic community fights back. Major lawsuits now have been brought against Monsanto. Why is that important? Why is that wellness? Because it takes into account that what happens if you don't have a choice of eating organic, if you only in time are forced to eat genetically modified experimental organisms in your alfalfa or corn or soy. That's part of wellness, the environment. Also, I'm going to deal with Gulf War sickness, wrecking lives by the tens of thousands. The untold story. I was just down in the Gulf. I was down in Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. I went into the towns. I spoke with the people, and many people are sick. Who's helping them? No one. Who's reporting on it? No one Where's it on anyone's agenda. It isn't. But it will be here because if we have an environmental disaster, which we did with the Gulf spill, and then suddenly the attention shifts to Libya or Egypt or Lebanon, and now we don't pay any more attention to it, does that mean that it's over, it's gone away, it's all right? No. So if you're sick because of something from our environment, What can we do to bring attention to that and how can we help those people? Wellness. Let's begin. I've mentioned that antioxidants are the single most important thing that you could take along with phytonutrients and chlorophyll to protect yourself from disease. Also de-stressing, of course. Now with many people being concerned, myself one of them, about the impact of ionizing radiation even in small doses, We have to look at what antioxidants can do, your vitamin C, where normally you might take it once a day, 500 or 1,000 milligrams in the morning. Now I'm suggesting you take 1,000 milligrams five times a day. That's minimal. I'm also suggesting you take quercetin, that's Q, quercetin, Q-U-E-R-E-C-T-I-N, quercetin, 500 milligrams when you take vitamin C because they co-catalyze each other, meaning there's a greater utilization of the vitamin C when you take it with quercetin. It also helps protect your blood, your capillaries, it's great for uh, helping the body heal, and it's terrific for detoxification. Also glutathione, alpha-lipoic acid, L-cysteine, NAC, N-acetylcysteine, vitamin D, vitamin D3 specifically, These are some, but not all, of the antioxidants that we should be having in our body. Now, there's two ways of getting them. One is from supplements, which are good. The other is from whole foods, and the juices or powders made from them. That's also good. I believe in a combination of the two. Here's the latest science to show that you're on the right side of science and history if you do this. A trial finds that pre-administration, meaning taking it preventatively, of easily absorbed antioxidants is not only safe but provides protection against cell damage and hence it will help with radiation exposure to prevent the DNA from being injured if you are exposed to radiation. Now this is from the Society of International and Interventional Radiology. Quote, A unique formulation of antioxidants taken orally by imaging with ionizing Uh, radiation minimizes cell damage. And that's according to the latest research. And in fact, in the first clinical Travis kind, as much as 50% reduction in DNA injury was observed after administering the formula prior to CAT scans. Quote, in our initial small study, we found that pre-administering to patients of antioxidants resulted in a notable dose-dependent reduction in DA injury, unquote. That's Dr. Murphy, M.D., professor and and vice-chair, and uh, director of Chief Radiology, University of Toronto, and University of Health Network Toronto. Quote, this could play an important role in protecting adults and children who require imaging or screening. How about background radiation? How about before you go on an airplane? How many times have you heard me say that every time I fly... I always load up on antioxidants, and then I always get ozone before I go on a plane, after I return from a plane, if it's a long trip, if I fly across the United States, I'll get three ozones in one week, intravenous. But also, every hour I'm on a plane, no matter where I'm flying, I take 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C, and quercetin, and alpha-lipoic acid, and that is protecting me. Now they have the science... Show is correct. Now add in all the chlorophyll because when I travel, I take little Ziploc bags, biodegradable, and I load those bags up as much as I can get in them, depending upon how long I'm going to be out, with different vegetable and fruit powders. I blend it all together. And that way, before I go up, I take five or six scoops. When I'm on a flight, take five or six scoops. When I get off, Five or six scoops, you bet. And that's not even the most I take. And that's one of the ways that I'm protecting, because I'm flooding my body with phytonutrients, including including chlorophyll, to protect against background radiation, but also uh, any other radiation that I may be coming in contact with. So just some good information that can protect you, and you can do it preventatively. And remember... You're being told not to worry about any of the radiation in low doses that's coming across the United States. It's showing up in our water, in our air. This morning we filmed in Wales, in England. We filmed for an hour and a half, probably the world's greatest authority on the impact of internal and external radiation and what it's doing and that the fact there is no safe dose. And he simply said this, and he, uh, and he backed it up with good science. He said, anyone now on television that's telling you not to worry about low-level radiation, that there is no harm to us, should be tried in a Nuremberg-type trial of crimes against humanity. These people are killers. Because their, their statements, which cannot be made out of ignorance, because they have the same capacity to read the scientific literature as he and others, shows that any radiation at any time in your life is destructive. And he believes these people are paid for, scientists, and then he went into this whole riff on how easy it is to buy scientists in the United States and elsewhere in the world. He also cited verbatim the literature of several scientists who reviewed 5,000 studies done in Slavic ...and published in the scientific literature in Russia and Ukraine... ...showing that upwards of a million people died because of the fallout from Chernobyl. So, and, and I'm having another program next week, hard-hitting program. Uh, Greg Palace is going to be on. I'm filming Greg in about an, two hours now on the, um, the intentional cover-up of bad information about radiation... Now, next up. So at least now you know how to help yourself. Now, on vaccines, as you know, the mainstream media has been continuing to state that there is no connection. They are wrong. The scientists supporting them are pro-vaccine industry spokespersons. The CDC, the FDA, the World Health Organization cannot be trusted. They've been shown to be both habitual liars about everything involving vaccines. The actual science... The hardcore science, independent science, clearly and unequivocally shows that there has never been a properly done, double-blind, placebo-controlled study where one group of individuals receive no vaccines and are measured over a six- to ten-year period against those who have, cross-matching them, to see what impact the vaccines have had. Also, you start off with a, a bias if you're a vaccine maker and therefore don't trust the information. Here is the latest. This is from the Journal of Immunotoxicology. This is a mainstream peer-reviewed journal. And an article entitled, Theoretical Aspects of Autism Causes a Review. The person writing this is Dr. Helen Ratcheskis, and um, she is a former senior scientist at the pharmaceutical firm, major pharmaceutical firm, and here's what she said, and I'll quote this from Cheryl Ackerton CBS News Investigates. Quote, she says, um, surprisingly herself, a former scientist, uh, she did what nobody else apparently has bothered to do. Quote, she reviewed the body of published science since autism was first described in 1943, not just one theory suggested by research such as the role of the MMR vaccines or the mercury preservative thimerosal, but all of them. Her article states in part that, quote, documented causes of autism, including genetic mutations and or deletions, viral infections and brain damage and cephalopathy following vaccines, Therefore, autism is the result of genetic defects and inflammation of the brain, unquote. Now, the article goes on to discuss many potential vaccine-related culprits, including increasing the number of vaccines given in a short period of time. Quote, what I have published is highly concentrated on hypersensitivity, the body's immune system being thrown out of balance. Now, here's what's really very, very unusual about what she says. she says that it's also quote that human DNA contained in vaccines that's right human DNA uh, in the vaccines not just thimerosal and when they started to take the mercury out of the vaccines that's when they began to use the human DNA in vaccines with the exception of the flu shop where they still contained thimerosal They began making some vaccines using human tissue. She says uh, that human tissue is currently used in 23 separate vaccines. She discusses the increase in autism incidence corresponding with the introduction of human DNA into the MMR vaccine and suggests the two could be linked. She also says an additional increased spike in autism occurred in 1995 when chickenpox vaccine was grown in human fetal tissue. Now, why could human DNA potentially cause brain damage? Well, the way she explains it, quote, "...because its human DNA and recipients are humans, there's homologous recombination uh, tinker. The DNA is incorporated into the host DNA. Now it's changed. Altered self and body kills it. Where is this most expressed? The neurons of the brain. Now you have body killing the brain cells, and it's an ongoing inflammation." it doesn't stop. It continues through the life of that individual. Unquote. So, it doesn't matter. Quote, even if human DNA were then found in vaccines, it does not mean that they cause autism, but what it does mean, it's one of the major suspects. So, here she's going on the record, doing all of her work and showing that, oh yeah, it's the vaccines. Whether it's the human DNA, or thimerosal, or mercury, it's the vaccines There's your connection and of course let someone come up and say she's wrong because she's the top scientist for the pharmaceutical industry she was right in the business and now she's out of that business and she can tell the truth and one other thing on big pharma and this will lead us to our comment of the day and our issue of the day this is from Martha Rosenberg, Alternet. Fifteen dirty big pharma tricks that rip you off and risk your health for profit. And I'll quote some of these, and I'll just abbreviate them. Astroturfing patients. What's this mean? Big pharma promotes fake patient advocacy groups to lobby for its interests. So it has nice-sounding names, and you see these individuals acting as if they're just concerned citizens on television, but they're not. They're front people. These front groups often push the FDA to approve an expensive drug that has been accepted in cheaper alternatives, uh, and uh, or they'll try to prevent Medicaid from switching to the less expensive drugs. And while of the largest foe groups is National Alliance for Mental Illness. It was investigated by Senator Charles Grassley for Undisclosed Pharma Links. He found that ten top members of the chapters received Almost $4 million from Big Pharma and um, Eli Lilly, AstraZeneca, and Bristol-Myers Squibb. Then cheating the government, Pharma is now a top defrauder of the federal government. Quote, Desperate to maintain their high margin of profit in the face of a dwindling number of important new drugs, Pharma illegally promotes unapproved uses of drugs and deliberately overcharges Medicaid and Medicare. That's quoting Dr. Sidney Wolfe, Director of Public Citizens Health Research Group. Next is their trials and fibrillations. Presiding over clinical trials can make a doctor thousands of dollars per patient, but they wouldn't um, uh, compromise safety just to make a buck, would they? Yeah. Medical College of Georgia psychiatrist Richard Borson and his colleague Bruce Diamond did 13 years ago when they tested Zyprexa and other uh, drugs and ended up going to jail. So did uh, Bay State Medical Center Scott Rudin. Uh, who went to prison earlier this year for fraudulent Celebrex uh, trials. In a Tucson facility, testing asthma drug, uh, Advar, and Singulair, Dr. Datin risked patients' health to net as much as $10,000 per patient. So we have all these people out there testing drugs for pharma and lying about it. And then more trials and more fibrillations. Quote, even without fraud, pharma-sponsored studies can deceive. Trials that only determine the drug is not worse than another drug or impute safety before real data is available. And Viox is just one of those, as is Avendia. And then overseas adventurism. They increasingly are selling bad drugs to poor countries and making astronomical profits. Like, Nigerian children died in trials testing Pfizer's not-yet-approved antibiotic Trovan. And so they killed the children in in Nigeria. Nobody went to jail. No lawsuits. They paid a little bit of money, and that's it. And then also, they control virtually the peer-review system. They never allow anyone to review their articles except insiders. So do not trust the fact something's period of view that they give you. And then also, <clears throat> the best thing that can ever happen to pharma uh, is pharmacy benefit managers. Their job is to negotiate the best drugs for their clients, which are health and pension plans. But they seem far more adept at taking money to push pharma's top-branded drugs regardless of the cost. And then also, FDA is on their side, and they then put out all these public service announcements that people believed, like, do you know the seven warning signs of cancer? But a lot of the awareness messages and warning signs you hear are not for, not from the government or medical groups, but pharma. Why? Because they always offer you a phone number to call for more information, and that is to get you into one of their programs and get you on their drugs. And also, big pharma sends school, uh, schools' doctors, continuing medical education, uh, of our courses that doctors are required to take to keep their state licenses and stay up to date, I have to take, you know, continuing education. And I've been to these in Daltaya. Um, it's all about sales pitches by some doctor who is there for a pharmaceutical company. It is a completely fraudulent uh, concept. And then of course, uh, they're there to give you ads directly on television. And these are not, um, not easy for a lot of us to listen to because they tell you the side effects and the side effects are frequently death and yet Grace and, Dr. Grayson told me yesterday that when the ads warning about cigarette smoking came out showing you how dangerous they were smoking increased when they show you how bad the product is that they're, they're being told to take people actually buy it more that's how crazy it is so that's our issue. Allowing Big Pharma, which takes $2.5 trillion for the medical industrial complex out of our pockets, and no regulation, no oversight, they control everything, they have bought off Congress, they have access to the White House, and you won't even know it. Now, why will you not know it? I'll tell you something you didn't know. This is an, an exclusive. New information shows that the lobbyists in Obama's White House hide meetings so they don't have to be recorded and no one has to sign in by doing it in a, in a building outside of the White House where they walk across the street. And, um, and that's according to one of the lobbyists who were involved in this. So that's why no one knows who they met with, what the purpose of the meeting was, um, what was discussed, nothing. Because it's off-site, and therefore no sign-ins, no logs, no paper trail. And yet, now we're knowing they're meeting with all these top lobbyists. Who are the top lobbyists? Health insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, for-profit hospital companies, and then Wall Street firms. Unimpeded access to the president, the people around him, all members of Congress. And that's why we're one sick nation. And nothing we're doing now is preventing illnesses and having a better direction at those people who are currently sick. have you all with us, including all of you listening around the world, and over 50% of the people tuning in now are listening outside of the United States, and a large contingent listening from Canada. I want to thank all of you for tuning in from wherever you're listening. Now, we are getting our phones blazing up here on our issues as we do each day. And a few little uh, thoughts for you. Sunday night, 8 p.m. Go to the Progressive Radio Network to hear the live internet show I do, and we have a wonderful audience. And I'm followed by Michael Rupert, who has a tremendous audience, talking about important issues. Uh, following my program, and uh, so that's 8 p.m. Sunday night, Progressive Radio Network. If you forget that, go to garynall.com. Show you how to get there. Uh, we're not streaming this week because we've been renovating our studio. Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, 5th Avenue and 90th Street, in Central Park. We begin for the first time in years to help people train either power walking, jogging, or racing to do the New York City Marathon. We have plenty of time. I don't care what shape you're in, we get people into shape. Over 23,000 people we've gotten in shape. Everyone who started a race has finished it. And by the time we do it, it's a celebration. It's free. We do it as a public service. It's the Natural Living Running and Walking Club. And we meet each Sunday and uh, answer people's questions by getting them into shape. And it's just a wonderful experience because you're surrounded by a lot of nice people who do it. So I'll be there. I look forward to seeing you there Sunday, 9 a.m., 5th Avenue and 90th Street. Come with your running shoes. and. And, you know, sweat, clothes, depending upon the weather. I don't care what the weather is. You know, it can be a hurricane. (laughs) Nothing stops us. (laughs) Runners don't get deterred by uh, adverse uh, climate. So we'll be there. I look forward to seeing you. Let's go over and say hello to Paul from Staten Island. Hi, Paul.
0: Yeah, hi, Gary. Hey, I was just as you were speaking, I was thinking we need to get people in to uh, running for office and changing things. And then I remember seeing on television uh, Speaker Quinn and the city council and how she controls everything. And the question is, how do you, if you get in there and they control the system, they could just cut you out. They, they, you know, it's like Speaker Quinn will just cut you out of the, uh, the the equation. So how do you change things when those who control the system are in charge?
1: Well, just assume that everyone in charge does not have the public's well-being in stake, at least not all the public, in which case then you first start with information. One of the things that have been missing in our society for decades has been, and certainly since the 1960s, has been quality, independent, objective information on a given issue that allows a person to understand in easy lay language, here's the problem, here are solutions. Now, once the public is given this information from multiple sources and then allowed to see, gee whiz, this isn't so difficult, then they can get their mind around it. Let me give you an example. I'm working on a film in post-production now showing the life of some young men, 14 to 17 years of age, who are not in school at this time and living in the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans, where I was filming them. That's the poorest poor that you can get. And also, it's environmentally... It's a just a, an, an environment you can't imagine. And, and that's why I took time a whole day just to shoot all the shots. Houses that are blown away, cars upside down, uh, holes in the street that you couldn't drive down. I mean, it, it looks like a bomb hit it. And yet, here on this one street... On this one little lot where there was a house that was blown away, they are growing things. And one of the things they're growing are sprouts. Why? Because sprouts are very delicious, but they're also expensive, and they're selling it to 22 separate restaurants. And they have more demand for sprouts than what they can actually physically grow. So they didn't have any money, nothing. They're already dirt poor. So they found how to make these little hoops in a small little greenhouse. Maybe it's 8 foot across, 8 foot high, maybe 12, 14 feet long, and then build racks, and everything is just real rough. I mean, there's no aesthetic beauty to this at all, but it's very practical. Outside it was 38 degrees, and inside it was about 84 degrees, just with passive heat from the sun. They did this on their own. Now, there's a problem. Unemployment, unemployment and uneducated in an area that's not going to help anybody, meaning the state, local, or federal government's not going to come to your aid. NGOs are not going to come to your aid. There's no foundation coming to your aid. There is no one going to save you. So what's the likelihood you're going to do to make money? Paul?
0: Oh, deal drugs.
1: You're going to get into trouble. Or you're right. going to deal with something that can get you into trouble. And they're honest about it. But they didn't. Instead, now they're making a good wage. They're... they're taking courses uh, from a guy who helped put this together in organic gardening. They've changed their own diets. They're far more health conscious. And now there are about 16 of them working in just this one little lot. And now other lots are starting to do the same thing. Problem, poverty, um, being abandoned, and poverty with a smackdown where if you saw the environment, you would just be overwhelmed with the sense of hopelessness. And yet, here's hope, problem solution. Now, could you imagine then going into every down and out community in the United States? And, and I'm going over to Camden, New Jersey, next week, and try to get it going there uh, with Father Dowd at the Church uh, of Sacred Heart Church there, because he is a policy maker within that movement and say, look, you have all these abandoned buildings, you have all these lots, work with a mayor who's a graduate of your uh, school here, and uh, let's build some greenhouses. So if nothing else, start with the idea taking kids in the community and who don't have an education, don't have money, and giving them a way to get an education about farming and sustainability and green and earn some income so they have a sense of self-confidence, self-esteem enhancement, and you could have a thousand of these growing. You could have enough that you couldn't grow enough food to supply, well, right across the river. You can see Philadelphia right across the river from Camden, New Jersey, and all the other places. And you could get a wholesaler to come down there and get a truck and then send them up. Or you get some other home-based business person to load up their van with those microgreens and lettuces and sprouts and, and, and flowers you can grow and edible flowers and take them up to New York City. There's no limit to what you can do, but it has to start with a solution. But how can you have a solution if no one can be honest except about the solution because they're all focused upon being completely victimized by the problem? So we have too many Americans who are stuck in that I'm a victim of the problem. It's overwhelming. There's too many corrupt people. The money's all concentrated. We have no money. We have no resources. Nonsense. We have a lot of resources, but we must be educated. We must show what we can do. Just like at the beginning of this program, you can't stop radiation from coming through, and you can't stop these idiots on television from saying, don't worry about low-level radiation. It won't hurt you. You can't stop, uh, and, and uh, we shouldn't have the right to stop. Uh, people going on the air and telling us uh, misinformation, but we should definitely have the right to counter it. So now you know that by taking antioxidants, the science shows you'll protect yourself from the damage of that low-level radiation, and so therefore we're into a solution. Problem solution. So that's where we have to start. Better education, more information, usable information, and then share that one to another. Now, did you hear my commentary yesterday? Uh, that I did on uh, why I believe we should not have gone into Libya and why from Libya we could end up with another major set of unintended consequences, including having very, uh, very well armed uh, tribes that are opposed to other tribes that will use once there is. Uh, some stability. They will use the power they have for ethnic cleansing. So therefore, we will unleash just like we did in Iraq and and uh, between the Sunnis and the Shia, The Sunnis had no power, uh, and the Shi'as, excuse me, the um, uh, the um, the Sunnis had the power, the Shi'as didn't. And how there was ethnic cleansing between the two, um, because what we created. Well, we can create massive amounts of problem by being stupid. So I did a commentary, but I gave a historical perspective, an accurate historical perspective of how many times we went in and interfered in the right of people to have a democracy and freedom. So everything we're saying now are just lies. But if you didn't know the history of how we've done this a hundred times before, then you might believe the people on television because they're very sincere. They're very uh, presentable in their arguments. And there's no real progressives there to challenge them. You don't see that the people, they get to be fair and balanced. No, it's 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 always someone who has a particular leaning so close to the original that there's no real uh, separation. So now you do. So take the article. It's going to be up on my Facebook, which is already full. We reached our 5,000, but we're going to a larger venue. But also on com, on GaryNall.com, Take that article and share it with people. Get it out to people. We must get a point where we're not just holding on or reading something and saying, well, that's interesting, or well, that's not interesting. It's when you share positive information that focuses on the problem and the solution and you let others know. And that way, then, you, you have good information. Do you know that over 100,000 people have downloaded the article on the fluoride fiasco? Ah, Way before the EPA and the FDA finally acknowledged, just this year, that they were wrong all along, all these decades, they were wrong on uh, condemning those of us who were dealing in real science and public health by showing the dangers of all this excess fluoride into our bodies and water supply. Now they've corrected themselves, but think of the communities that were no longer fluoridated because long ago they used that information to go in and get uh, referendums to get rid of the fluoride. In fact, I know for a fact that one of the city council members of New York City used the article as part of the scientific basis for challenging the legitimacy of fluoridating New York water. So information that is independent, objective, scholarly, written in lay language that can tell people the problem solution is what should be focused on first. Otherwise you can have a thousand different groups running around all with some measure of truth all talking about something, and nothing gets done. Nothing. We've got to change the ways that we focus upon socially relevant programs. We have to bring our energies together, subvert the egos, look at the common good, select a commonly uh, acceptable theme to go forward on. i work on that level. And by the way, when Rachel Maddow said two nights ago that... Um, and because we quoted her in this new film I'm doing, because I just couldn't believe when I was hearing her say it that we all agree that uh, nuclear is is not polluting, and uh, but is it really safe considering how many acts? And I said, my God, with all the resources she has, she hasn't done her homework. So we have sent off Rachel Maddow a long list of the actual science showing that nuclear is not safe. And that every day, every one of our 104 nuclear plants is giving some measure of radiation into the environment. The fact that you will have pro-nuclear groups and scientists tell you, don't worry, be happy, that won't cause cancer. But look, we've got a 67% increase in cancer risk of breast cancer within 30 miles. The women living around this plant, that plant, that plant, that plant. When that plant closed, breast cancer went down. It's just an anomaly. No, it's not an anomaly. So even the people supposedly speaking with some sense of independence are simply not looking at all the facts because obviously they were not reading the articles. We've got to get the articles, and we have them. The articles are up there. Hope that answers your question, Paul.
0: I, I, they probably wouldn't even listen to it. They, they're, they're completely, um, it's just, just mind-boggling. Uh, how
1: Paul, was- Paul, look where you're going. Look where you're going. Now, did you live too close to that landfill over in Staten Island? You, 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 you've been going over there <laughs> doing your meditation on those toxins? All right, Paul. Move over to Brooklyn, Paul. Get, you, get your courage back, and then go up to the Bronx and become an ass-kicker. All right? But you've got to get out of Staten Island for a while. Thank you, Paul. we got to keep it positive. Look, do you think I ever care whether the doctor or scientist I'm debating believes in anything or will be open to anything? It is obvious these people are not going to be believing in anything. It's not for them to believe in it. It's for everyone else that wouldn't know that there was something to believe in. It's for everyone else to change their minds, not their ramrod rigid ideologues that are incapable of being flexible at all in changing because their ego, their self-esteem, their financial interests would all be adversely affected if they had to acknowledge, oops, sorry, we got it wrong. Just like all these marches for cancer cure. Who sponsors those? Do you ever stop and look? Well, the makers of Tamoxifen. And who sponsors the Cure Walk for AIDS? The makers of, of, uh, of uh, the drugs used to treat AIDS. And do they have cures? No. What's the number one leading cause of death in persons defined with AIDS defining illnesses? Liver failure. Well, hold on. Is liver failure one of the 30 conditions of AIDS? No then what you're saying is the number one cause of death in people treated with AIDS is liver failure, which is due to what? The drugs. So I see. So let me see if I can wrap my mind around this. More people are dying from the treatment than any other cause. That's the actual science. Read the science. And then you'll see why 2,800... Other world's leading scientists, including multiple Nobel Prize winners, Carrie Maldis, for example, Dr. Thomas of Harvard, have so stated that we must rethink our entire position on AIDS. But then again, you could rethink heart disease and diabetes and mental illness. You could rethink all these. But you going to get the people in the field to change? No. The people getting grants and lifetime stipends? No. People getting massive lecture fees? No. The support groups that get money from these? No. People in the media are influenced by their own fears, limitations, and hence self-censor? No. Then who's going to change? How about everybody else that hasn't yet been convinced of the rightness of a particular argument who may then change their mind and align with the truth if they're given it? I'm Gary Nall, back in a moment with my guest. Please stay with us. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey what's,
0: oh, what's oh, hey, up
1: I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us, listeners all over the world. And what's remarkable is how many young people are tuning in. People in their teens and 20s and 30s a lot. Jason, before we go to our guest, real quick, you just jump back in the room. I just wanted to tell you that actually we got our
0: numbers yesterday, and the Progressive Radio Network has shown a 23% increase in the last month. People have been coming, young people have been coming to our site, and we've just went over the 2 million mark with downloads and listeners going to Progressive Radio Network On the just that one new site? Correct, just on that.
1: Okay. So it's very impressive. Thank you for all our listeners. Good. My guest, Ron Rosenbaum has been considered by some as one of America's leading journalists. And he's written for the New York Times and Slate. And his early book, Investigating the Rise of Hitler and the Anti-Nazi Press, perhaps similar to our own underground progressive journalism to reveal criminal activities, has become a widely acclaimed bestseller. His recent book is How the End Begins, The Road to a Nuclear World War III. And it makes public to a wide audience Audience, many of the extremely close calls of nuclear war the U.S. and other nations have faced in past history. Nice to have you with us, Dayron.
0: Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it.
1: I'd like you to begin, please, by sharing some of the most salient examples in the past that clearly showed that our real control over nuclear bombs is deeply fallible, and when at times our fate was on the line by minutes of a near exchange of nuclear missiles.
0: Well, I think on our side, the most uh, dramatic one came at the end of the Carter administration when Zbigniew Brzezinski, the national security advisor, was woken up. One of those 3 a.m. calls from NORAD's uh, defense warning, early warning system out in Colorado, it said that their screen showed we were under attack by 2,000 hostile missiles. uh, And Brzezinski had about one minute to decide whether to call the president and to call in a nuclear response could've been the end of the world Um fortunately brzezinski took a little more than one minute norad called back and said, whoops sorry that warning we saw on our screen was just training tapes that were fed into our computers late at night and someone mistook them for the real thing uh... so that's on our side on the Russian side, or, or uh, in Europe, um, it was Operation Able Archer in uh, September of 1983 when uh, the Soviets thought that we were using a military exercise involving nuclear weapons as a, a shield for a surprise attack. And they planned a surprise attack to preempt our surprise attack. And fortunately, one spy working for us Told uh, uh... the government, our government, that we were going to cause a nuclear war with our exercise, and uh, we stood down. Some things like the president didn't go to a uh, undisclosed uh, location, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the, con- uh, the uh, conflict was diffused. But some say that was the closest we came to nuclear war, and there are all these other examples of. Uh, uh, flocks of geese being taken for hostile missiles, whether peaceful satellite launches being taken for You know, it's uh, it's interesting. When you talk to people about this, as I did for How the End Begins, my book, um, uh, they always say, well, we haven't had any nuclear uh, detonations since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We're doing okay. And, and I say, you know, we were doing okay until... Uh, japan um and uh you know we're doing okay like a guy who jumps off a building and uh, someone calls out to him and says uh uh how it feel and he says okay so far you know we have two thousand missiles buried under the great plains it's like having two thousand nuclear reactors buried under the great plains and 15 minutes go uh warning to them going critical so it's uh it's crazy. Fortunately, in some way, the only upside of the Japan crisis is that we should take this moment as a warning that uh, we can't be complacent about nuclear weapons the way we've been complacent about nuclear power.
1: I appreciate that insight. Thank you. I have one overarching concern, and that is that I have not seen any of these presidents or their advisors um, really stop the entire nuclear proliferation, to shut down the industries, and not just warehouse the weapons that can be taken out whenever they choose, but actually deconstruct our nuclear industry as a first step to showing other nations you should do the same.
0: No, you're absolutely right. There is a, uh, after the Cold War ended, there's a uh, limited program that's still going on, which involves uh, some demobilization, deconstruction, chopping up nuclear warheads, of course, feeding them into uh, nuclear reactors as fuel. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that still goes on. But meanwhile, we still have on each side 2,000 uh, warheads on hair-trigger alert, and um, it's uh, it's not a safe situation. And, uh, you know, President Obama started out his administration calling in Prague for a world without nuclear weapons, and we did get this treaty, but still... Uh, there were only modest reductions, and there were no reductions in the alert time, which is only 15 minutes. You know, we see things on a screen, and uh, we have to decide whether to launch a nuclear war within 15 minutes without even knowing whether the things on the screen are geese or not.
1: Also, the fact that f- during the entire um, Clinton and then Bush eight years in office, Pakistan was building a formidable nuclear arsenal in an extremely unstable environment. And and we have continued to give them billions of dollars, over $12 total, with no demand that they deconstruct. If they deconstructed under our supervision and world monitors their entire nuclear facilities, a Al-Qaeda or the Taliban couldn't get it, B, then it would also diffuse much of the tension with India, and India is one of the largest purchasers of military and defense hard gear from the United States. They have starving people. They have 800 million poor people in India, 1.21 billion people, and yet they put money into nuclear. They put money in Pakistan. is the same, and yet look at how terrible the situation is for people in Pakistan, and we if we had real leadership, they would say, not another nickel until you get rid of all of them, and we're going to help you do it, And then the rest of the world then is shamed by example into saying, okay, well, if you have the United States have done it, and if Pakistan has done it, and if India is now doing it, then let us also do it. Your thoughts? Well,
0: you know, you're absolutely right. The Pakistan is the uh, most dangerous, and it's going in the wrong direction. It was not much noticed by the media, but a couple months ago, a new intelligence report came out. It had been conventionally uh... said that pakistan had sixty to one hundred nuclear warheads in fact they have twice that many and in fact they're not under good control and in fact al-qaeda occupies uh... portions of pakistan uh, their government is unstable we are uh... for all we know a few weeks away from al-qaeda possessing uh, a, a very large arsenal of nuclear weapons and then We have war game plans to try to seize them. It's a horrible, uh, unstable situation and just getting worse.
1: And also, one of the things that I did a commentary yesterday, why we should not have gone into uh, Libya... Uh, And I gave an example of 100 separate times the United States undermined legitimate democracies because they didn't serve our um, geopolitical interests and uh, neoconservative globalization interests. But one of the things that has never been fully determined is how much nuclear science or capability did Libya have. And we don't know what that answer is. And yet right now you have enormous um, instability in areas of the country where all of the Arab countries are trying to seek, including Saudi Arabia, uh, some nuclear uh, weapons, mainly because of how many um, Israel had. And Israel's never been held accountable for how many it has. It's never been a signatory to any of the conventions. And yet we continue to give it $3 billion a year, all in defense, as if somehow none of this whatever become relevant uh
0: you know uh, we we used to think that um we were in constant danger during the cold war during the balance of terror now we should look back in nostalgia at that time because it was much more stable there are now nine or more nuclear weapon uh weapon states uh i from what i've uh read uh libya's nuclear program was pretty far advanced when they decided uh, unexpectedly to give it up in 2003 who knows where we'd be if they didn't have it now and there's a whole nuclear bazaar being run by Pakistan's uh, nuclear scientist A.Q. Khan um, in which it's possible for uh, nations to just buy them off the shelf Uh, North Korea needs cash they have nuclear weapons Uh, there's no reason uh, that uh, we don't even know who has and who doesn't have nuclear weapons.
1: But uh, That's correct, but my concern is, look how unstable Pakistan is. And to assume that its entire intelligence apparatus would not in any way have infiltra- infiltrators who are want to see a pure theocracy and not uh, some functional democracy... That would be wishful thinking, and all it takes is for them to breach the security to be able to get their hands, the Taliban, not Al Qaeda, to get their hands on one of those nuclear weapons or even a dirty bomb, and then someone's going to say, why didn't we make this mandatory to de-nuclearize de- uh, de- uh, the country? Your no, thoughts? You're
0: absolutely right. Pakistan, I think, is the most likely source of. Uh, Nuclear, the next nuclear detonation, uh, from whatever reason, and, uh, it's, uh, I, I think what you outlined is, is the most likely that it's been infiltrated by, uh, Taliban sympathizers, and, um, uh, they, there's no, uh, certain control over these weapons. It's, it's really shocking, and if people were to actually, uh, take that in, um, they would not have a peaceful day.
1: And yet the American media seems to be extremely reluctant to even bring up the prospect, because immediately I could hear Bill O'Reilly and and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram screaming at the top of their lungs, are you crazy to take away our nuclear capacity? And I'm then going to ask, well, when exactly would you use that capacity?
0: I mean, that's the big question. Um, And... uh you know supposedly nuclear weapons are uh you know uh designed never to be used but just to threaten to prevent other people from using them but the world court uh in an advisory opinion back in 1996 said that in fact um, it was uh a war crime to even threaten to use nuclear weapons for whatever purpose and And so, in effect, we are using nuclear weapons now, today, because we're threatening to use them. And uh, uh, there's no good reason um, to use them um, offensively. And so we just have not made the huge shift that we need to make from the fact that we're not in a uh, Cold War and these weapons have no purpose.
1: I agree. Ron Rosenbaum. Thank you for being on and hopefully people will pay attention how important how the end begins, the road to a nuclear war three is to our future. Thank you, Gary. All the best. I'm Gary Knoll. Thank you all for listening. Sunday evening, eight PM Progress Radio Network. Have a nice day.
0: is produced in our new york city studio the producer is richard gale the engineer is matt bogart all shows are archived by joe kemp the chief archivist is sharon pride and the program director is jason